Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I get the pleasure of speaking to Mr. Andrew Lowe. Andrew works for Teach for America DFW, and he is on the show to discuss how he's educating and empowering parents to raise inclusive kids. He's talking about all the great work that has led him to fully embrace his story and his identity and bring that into the classroom to teach his students. We discuss new and efficient ways of working and doing across the classroom, thanks to COVID and what that looks like possibly in the future. It's a really great conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. So stick around. My conversation with Andrew is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Mr. Andrew Lowe from Teach for America, DFW. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing perfect. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Or I should have noticed on your Zoom, perhaps I should call you Mr. Lowe. Am I back in the classroom now? I want to make sure I don't get marked for improper addressing of the teacher or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, all of the teachers at my school, we all changed our names to Mr., Miss, or Mrs. Yep. Uh, last name. Just, you know, so our kids don't know our first names. Right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, I'm excited to to dig into your story and then also the work that you're doing with Teach for America because of the fact that I think what you do or what you're doing individually and then as a collective, as the group is so crucial to raising a or helping to create a more inclusive world, which is the whole point of this podcast is to create conversations and spaces where people can talk about creating that inclusive world and then leave the listeners with some actionable items that they can then use and implement in their own lives to help make that better place. So I'd love to really start out and just get to know you a little bit more. So let's let's talk about your early work and what drove you to start working for Teach for America. Sure, sure. So I am a first generation a college graduate, as well as a first-generation American. Both of my parents were refugees from Vietnam. Uh, mm-hmm. After the fall of Saigon, they both uh, needed to flee the country um, because, you know, the political factors were really not favorable to them. So sure. their families decided to leave. Uh, they lived on refugee camps for a couple of years, and then they eventually met here in the United States um, got married and had me. Uh, the reason why I mentioned this is because it's so foundational in my own understanding of myself, sure. because growing up, I was born and raised in Dallas, uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm in the suburb. I was in the suburb of Arlington, Texas. Oh, right on. I, yeah. I lived there for about nine years. Arlington is a great, great city. Yep. Um, and then at Nine years old, we moved to Mansfield, Texas, okay. which is a suburb of the suburb. Right. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect <laughs> um, way to put it. Yep. <laughs> right. Exactly. And um, just growing up there, just recognizing that I had a lot of privilege in the ways that the Mansfield Independent School District was amazing, uh, just in terms of their resources, their programming for youth was 
letting you first. And it was really amazing the ways that they were able to uh, lead me to eventually go to the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, where I spent four years. Uh, I majored in business administration there. And throughout my summers there, I actually had a number of internships in business capacities where I sort of got into the world of how do corporations function, how do corporations grow, um, and using those kinds of mindsets uh, moving throughout college. And so it wasn't until after junior year where I recognized, okay, again, I keep on seeing the ways that privilege and power sort of infiltrated my mind in a, in a way that made me want to keep seeking that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't until that summer where I went to a summer camp. I was a camp counselor for this organization called Camp Custom. They work with kids with parents who have cancer. Mm. And so this is a very mission-driven organization that is so deeply entrenched in, okay, we have these children and their parents have cancer. And that is something that they have to live with from youth age throughout the rest of their life. Yeah. And so as someone who did not experience cancer affecting my parent directly, I really wanted to put myself out there and make myself a resources to, to these kids. Um, yeah. So after that summer, I went back uh, to USC. It was my senior year and I recognized, okay, it's time for me to change my path. Uh, and so I started recruiting with Teach for America. I actually uh, got recruited by Liz Adabale. If you're in the Southern California area, you know her yep. because she was super, super great. Um, and just through conversation, she really pushed me and supported me. And eventually I decided to sign on with TFA DFW. I love that. That's so cool. And one of the things that's really great and that we're striving for on the show is to really discuss the ways in which we can empower others to bring their full authentic selves to everything that they do, which actually leads me into today's sponsor. So today's sponsor of the podcast is Snuffy. It's a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And it's run. The company is owned and operated by Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox podcast logos. So if you like him, you like his work, go check it out and uh, put a little good out in the world. But Andrew, I think it's so cool. Like this, I heard, I heard an interesting quote um, the other day. And it's resonated with me and I've not been able to get rid of it. So um, former detox guest, Sam Fader, director of Disclosure Documentary, was discussing the subject of privilege. And we talked a lot, you brought up privilege quite a bit in the, in the early goings and, and recognizing it. And I think, you know, something that's, that's interesting to me as a cisgender white man here in America is the fact that Sam brought up the point that he said, privilege is invisible to those who have it. And that is so profound because I think there are so many times where I've had conversations with other cisgender white men Mm -hmm. and I've heard the type of, especially here in Texas, and I've heard the type of language such as, well, I don't see privilege. You know, I've never experienced privilege. I don't understand what they're talking about. And it's because we, meaning we, uh, myself, included in the collective of white men in this situation, 
are experiencing privilege every day on a micro level, on a macro level, and it's so ingrained and embedded into every situation interaction we have that we don't see it. But it's so prevalent to those who do not have it. And I think by building that foundational knowledge of yourself and your story and then seeing, being able to kind of carry that with you and use it to inform the work you're doing for Teach for America is so so powerful. And and I'd love to know what has been some of the the so let 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 me back up just a bit and say how long have you been working for Teach for America at this point? So this is my second year. Okay. Gotcha. And what has been some of your early um, learnings that you've seen as a as a result of working for this program, and what has been uh, some lessons that have really resonated with you? Definitely. So a couple of things come to mind. Uh, the first of which is. Prior to joining Teach for America, I had really done minimal amounts of identity work. Uh, so I, I, I brought up the, this notion of privilege, and it has always been something that has been in the back of my mind because neither of my parents graduated from high school or college. Right. And so that sort of drove me throughout my entire life, but I never really said that out loud i didn't articulate that until it was it came time to teach for america and it came time to question okay what does it mean to actually have privilege what does it mean to become aware of it and become an advocate of those who are marginalized right um and so just beginning in may of 2019 that's when i joined uh, Teach for America. That's when the programming began. And right off the bat, we, a core of about 200 in Dallas-Fort Worth area, all went through a seven to eight week program in which we got a crash course about what it means to be a champion of marginalized communities. Mm. And there's this notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion that is getting larger and larger. Uh, and rightfully so. But Teach for America uses this framework as a way of developing us as leaders, developing our own conception of our identities, and then sort of empowering us as leaders to then employ that in our classrooms. So how exactly do you show up in the classroom to empower your kids and their own journeys and identities. And I think that's, that's the really powerful piece here because when you're putting leaders in low income neighborhoods, you're really putting them in front of people that they typically don't have exposure to. Right. uh, And you're sort of exposing them to what it, what, what it means to have diversity within a school building say. Right. Uh, And so I've actually noticed that within my own, within my own mind, I call into question my own beliefs and my own behaviors and therefore my own being, me as a person into the classroom and into in my day-to-day life as well. So again, Teach for America has not only trained me, but equipped me and empowered me with all these experiences to then contextualize my life and then also move forward and empower my students as well. I think that's so powerful and beautiful to to think about 
our own journey and our own sense of story and how we are have been brought to this moment and what has shaped us and informed the path and the decisions that we've made. And I think by understanding where we came from and what we're doing here, um, both in a physical sense and in a metaphorical sense, empowers us to be able to live in that and walk in that and then teach that to another generation. And when we lose our sense of identity and our sense of self, we're no longer bringing, bringing all of our story to the forefront of our lessons and our teaching. And it, it becomes, you know, I, I, I and I, I want to put like a, a little bit of a, of a trigger warning for folks who, who might, this might be upsetting to, but I, I do recall back, back not too, too long ago that it was, it was a, um, especially here in Texas, it was an accepted thing to do to say things such as, I don't see color. You know, I don't see black or white. I just see hard workers, right? I just see learners. I just see et cetera, et cetera. But what that does is it robs everybody of their individualistic story and it compresses every single journey into one way of being, learning, and doing. And when you suppress that and when you push that down, you're not affording others the space to bring their different shared experience to the forefront and then bring a new collection of ideas, thoughts, and experiences, which leads to that diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now I think as a society, we're taking steps, I would say not quick enough or not big enough, but still steps in the direction to correct a lot of that, that damage or unlearn those learned behaviors, but it still takes a lot. And so I think by, to your point, by learning more about yourself, being able to impart that is incredible. What has been some of the benefits that you've been able to see for yourself. Let me let me back this up. Let me let me frame it a different way. What has been the end result that you've seen in either a student or a lesson that you feel has been a direct result of you fully embracing your story? If that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. So I'll actually talk about one experience in my creative writing class. Perfect. Uh, and so I teach this class to seventh graders. And the first project of the first quarter uh, that we dived into was something called a journey line project. And so on within the first couple of weeks of school, I presented a slideshow. Uh, imagine some sort of X and Y axis where uh, the x-axis is a timeline, and then the y-axis is positive and negative. And so what I asked each of my students to do was put photos on there, uh, plotting them according to high points and low points in your life. And so that began by me first modeling and being vulnerable about what the best and the worst parts of my own experience were growing up. Uh, and so, and getting into the classroom right. and by sharing that, by being vulnerable with my kids, I was then able to build like that. That's a foundational relationship that you have then built because you are, first of all, 
showing them your authentic self. But then afterwards, what I was able to do was support them to build their own story. They created their own journey lines and were able to share them with the class. And so just seeing the way that I was able to empower them to tell their story, especially in such a weird, weird moment in in their lives, uh, it it allowed them to become a little bit more reflective uh, than, than I have normally felt in a school, in a classroom. Uh, and so just the ways that this, this opportunity of being able to teach creative writing has then manifested itself in other ways too. For example, we're now moved on to short fiction slash creative, like creative stories, short stories. And so I'm now able to, to think about, okay, our kid, my kids came in with unique experiences. They're obviously going to be charged with writing their own story. How are you going to build in your interest of soccer? For example, one of my students is actually, he's talking, he's writing a story about um, a PS4 controller and the joysticks come to life. (laughs) And so we're developing his ideas and we're going to see the end product there. So by the end of December, we'll, we'll see what he, he comes up with. I love that. It's, it's so great to be able to like <sighs> this is what i always think of when i hear about the ways in which we are we as a society are approaching learning now because i think about growing up and being told this is the script for how one conducts a life that is meant for greater achievement you you go down this pathway and your story doesn't you can bring a, enough of your story into what you do in so much as it does not disrupt this plan that has already been coursed out for you or mapped out for you right and it's like and that was the template it was like this is a template it worked for a handful of people and we're just going to keep forcing everybody down this template and that's just the way it is and we found that you know uh everybody is unique and different and we all have different paths and we all have different templates and we all have a different way. So when you give someone the power to tell their story and to plot it out in whatever way makes the most sense for them, you're unlocking the door of potential in each individual's mind. I think it's absolutely brilliant and fantastic. I'd love to know what brought you, I know we talked about you signing up for Teach for America DFW, but what brought you back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Because I know there are other Teach for America sites around around the country, correct? So what was the, I mean, obviously you've been here before, you lived here, but what was the specific draw for you to come back here with Teach for America? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it's deeply informed the work that I, I do. So I think I mentioned that I grew up in the Mansfield ISD area. Right. Uh, And just 30 miles north of that, we have an urban area where the, there's a lot higher need for diverse teachers. I mean, there's a diverse, there's a need for diverse teachers everywhere, but especially in the urban areas, you know, they're typically families, uh, 80 to 90% of our schools of our school populations are on the free and reduced lunch list. And so just thinking about the types of homogeneity that might exist within those schools and thinking about, okay, how can I 
of Asian American, uh, of Asian descent, and as an Asian American, how can I put myself out there and allow for my presence to serve as exposure into another culture? Right. For example, last year in my classroom around the Lunar New Year, which takes place in February, uh, February or January, I brought in uh, a Chinese calendar. I brought in a huge dragon that I hung from the wall. And I showed them videos of the Lunar New Year. Um, and additionally, my family actually owns a, a shopping center. It's an Asian shopping center. And so we, every single year for the past 13, 14 years, we've thrown a Lunar New Year celebration. And That's so awesome. I was able to share that with them, uh, show them videos and be like, hey, like this, have you ever seen it? And in fact, my students have been there before and I like without me knowing and it was just <laughs> that crazy connection. Um, so again, just being able to like come back into the community that raised me yeah. and then give my own spin uh, with my identity to inform that one. I love that. That's so awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, have you found, or maybe, maybe this is a better way to say it. I know we're still, uh, you know, I would love to say that I don't, I would love to have an episode where I don't bring up COVID in any way, shape or form, because I think that would be fantastic. And we would all love that. But it is the reality of the world in which we live in. So bring it up, I must. But I would love to know how you adapted in March when we had those early days of full lockdown. And how have you recalibrated the way in which you're conducting learning now for the 2020-2021 school year? Joe, that is a crazy, this is just a crazy, crazy world that we're living in. Yes, yes. I am not the first to say, surely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when it first hit in March, you know, I fully expected that I would be back at school. In of fact, course. like the last time that I saw my students last year was Thursday, March 6th, I believe because the Friday was the first day of spring break. Right. And then like I received guidance from the school leadership, the school district leadership saying, okay, we're gonna come back the day after spring break. And then that date got pushed and it got pushed and it got pushed. And so the first response from the teachers was, okay, how the heck are we even going to run an entire academic institution online? Right. And so, we're then presented with the problems of, okay, college, certainly you can run online. However, when it comes to youth, their brains are not developed enough for that self-regulation, for that self-advocacy, right. for a lot of the general technological skills that, would re that requires, that they require in order to be successful online. So... Right. Again, it was a lot of trial and error, but, you know, the school leadership at my school was just so resilient and so patient in the way that they implemented onboarding onto all of the learning management systems, all the Google classrooms, and just being patient with contacting parents as well. Yeah. We had to distribute Chromebooks. We had to distribute hotspots because a lot of our families don't either don't have computers at home they don't have internet at home. And so again, it was a very 
swift. It, it required a lot of fast turnaround, uh, but we had to be really patient in the process and just understand that this was not going to be an easy thing. Um, but moving forward into the summer, you know, our organization, Uplift Education, uh, was really hoping to take the summer to just think through everything so that when it came time for the fall, we could reopen. Uh, and then sort of talking about the way that Teach for America then tackled this issue. Teach for America, again, was bringing in a new core of about 200 to start their first year in schools. And we wow. began the school year virtually. So they had to conduct that seven week, seven to eight week institute experience online fully. And so just the ways that Teach for America had to be really swift and really resilient and uh, patient throughout that whole thing. And yet show up for the second years as well, because I'm still a member of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm still going through their training and professional development. It's just been a really, I wanna say just novel, this whole experience has just been novel and we've learned so much through it. Uh, and then whenever the fall time came, I mean, you know, we're in it right now, we're in the <laughs> thick of it and it's yeah. just been even more crazy than right. I could ever imagine right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something where I, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody at work the other day and I was talking about like, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, you know, uh, yeah, it was, this happened when we were in Boston and the, and the conference and, and we got this report from there and they're like, Joe, that was back in, that was back in March. That was like March 13th. Um, it's no, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's October. Well, if you're listening to this, it's going to be November, but we're recording this at the end of October. So it was like, it's October now. I'm like, Oh, uh, wow. So you're saying we're closer to coming back around to one year, uh, anniversary of that event than we are to have actually been at that event. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's just, it's crazy. And I, I, you know, we're getting at a point where cases are going back up and things are looking like we're hitting another wave. And it's just, it's just nuts. My, you know, my kiddo is doing kindergarten virtually and it's just, it's, it's nuts, but I, she's got a really great teacher and everybody's doing really well as far as staying engaged and getting the work done. And, and, you know, I'm fully aware that we're, we've got some privilege there and that we're blessed and we're able to to coordinate the way we coordinate to get it done. And not everybody has that opportunity like you're talking about, especially with internet and just not having laptops and having to distribute the Chromebooks and the hotspots because not everybody has internet. It's just, it's crazy and it's nuts. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think about is there's going to be a new way of learning that comes out of this once everything, once we get... And I don't know if this is going to be in 2021, 2022. I have no idea. Like no one knows, right? But I think we're going to find a new way of learning and doing across the entire spectrum from kindergarten all the way up through college because we've had to adapt. And I think I think there. this is the point that I'm getting to is I think there are a lot of institutions, I know the university I went to was one of them, that was very resistant to any way of learning that wasn't strictly in the classroom 
old school style lecture hall, boom, 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 essay, all the stuff that's like a traditional college experience. That's the university I went to. And they were pretty good with that because they said, this is the way it's always been. This is always the way it's always going to be. We have no reason to change. Now you've had a reason to change and you're finding, I had a conversation with one of my old professors the other day, they're finding that they're learning more efficiently and they're finding new ways of learning and growing for the students to get exposed to different courses and different opportunities than they ever would have had before and just in the classroom on the traditional path. So I want to know, bring it back around, what is something that you're thinking of as an efficiency or a new way of learning that is already kind of percolating in your mind that maybe if not for Teacher America, that you could possibly envision seeing a way in which we interact to reach and engage with students in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, that's a, that's a excellent question. You know, it's, it's just exciting also to think about, right? Because there has been this large force that has essentially forced us all to forget everything that we were already familiar with right? and just envision, okay, based off of the assets that currently are around us, based off of the technological, uh, all of the companies, all of the uh, app applications, all of the uh, curriculum that already exists, how can we then, you know, sort of mesh it all together and turn it into some sort of new experience right. to deliver knowledge to children. Uh, but the ways that I think about this are that moving forward, I, I don't believe that we're going to be cramming 30 plus children into one small classroom anymore. Right. I don't think like personally, and this is, this is my own personal opinion. Sure. Of course. I don't think that it will be as acceptable to have that many children in one classroom anymore. Right. I believe that because of the ways that college is structured in a way where we have lecture slash discussion or uh, we meet once a week or we have asynchronous learning or it's a hybrid learning. So I have in any given class of about 20 to 25 kids, I have about five in each of those who are two days in, three days out. And so thinking about, okay, how can I show up and support them two days out of the week when in fact I need to show up for them five days out of the week, but provide them this sort of tailored experience that's fit for their learning style uh, in a very unprecedented way. Like I have never done this before and many people have never done this before. I would right. say almost no one has done this before. Right. So in a way, a lot of teachers are running lesson plans for three different sets of kids. In addition to the ways that we have English language learner kids, the ways that we have talented and gifted kids, special education kids, and then on level kids. So there's a lot of moving factors and variables here. But again, thinking about your, your question was asking what sort of innovations lie in the future. Mm -hmm. And I, I think technology is going to become more and more present and more and more important and impactful because we're seeing like artificial intelligence and the ways that data is being capitalized on to provide unique and tailored learning experiences to kids. I, I am 
I, you know, te technology obviously comes with a lot of risk of factors and security issues, but I'm, I'm more on the train of, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna go full speed ahead and really change, change the way that kids are learning. Yeah. I think that's a good point that you bring up about how we're at a point right now where things are difficult because there are a lot of teachers that are thinking about designing three sets of lesson plans per week because you've got online and then remote or online in person and hybrid. Whereas I, I, I wonder if perhaps if this becomes the norm in the same way that when we have people that work in an office and people that work remote and then people that do both, you know, the work is still the same wherever they are. And so I wonder if perhaps the next evolution of learning is in that kind of business model, meaning the work is the same. And we think about how can we effectively design work that can be picked up wherever you are and you can, you, the student can interact with it and get the resources you need. What does that look like? Because I do think it's difficult to take some, I taught high school theater for a year right out of college. And so it was extremely difficult to think about how was I going to teach acting or teach tech theater or teach makeup remote and in person and both. And, you know, it was something where I didn't even have to think about that. It was all in person, but, but I started going through that exercise and going, I think my natural inclination would be, well, the online students can do this. And this is kind of like a modified version of my lesson plan. And then in person, we'll get the full experience and then I'll kind of work it out. But I think there's a better way forward. And I think when, when we as a society say, okay, we can't keep designing for the old ways. We need to embrace that there's a new way and be willing to pivot with however the new way shakes out, that's when we're going to start seeing these kind of new innovative learning methods. I, I think you're absolutely spot on with, with thinking about, you know, almost, almost a one streamlined version of curriculum. I know we're, we're getting near the end, but I want to, before we get into the final segments, I would love to know specifically about your, uh, as I understand, it, you're you're working on some social emotional learning curriculum. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. What what that looks like, what that means for students, and what is your driving factor for designing that specific curriculum? For sure. So over the summer, I was reached out to by someone from Uplift Education's Central Management Office, and he was essentially just inviting me to become a part of the eighth grade advisory committee. And advisory is a time where in past years has been leveraged for intervention support. So offering extra support in math or reading or math or reading and just, you know, providing extra time so that they can catch up on some skills that they might've missed on. Uh, in previous years. But this year, because of the very different learning model, uh, because of the very different schedule, from 8 to 8.30 every morning, that is now our advisory time, opposed to the 8 to 9 a.m. So we now have 30 minutes of time where we're not going to be just focusing on math and reading. Because our, our scholars are at home, a lot of them, they, they're not going to be able to stay 
on a computer screen from 8 to 4 p.m. Right. And so uplift is also very focused on the whole scholar, the whole brain. So how can we show up for them as human beings uh, who acknowledge that while we're in a global pandemic, you know, you still got to go to school, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you got to get an education somehow. <laughs> right, so yeah. this task force, this advisory task force, uh, there are four of us, four eighth grade, uh, four members of eighth grade teams across North Texas uh, who banded together and tackled, okay, uh, mindfulness, we got community, we got inclusivity, we got current events, we got self-care advocacy, all of these different topics that we're trying to cover in the first 30 minutes of every day. And so I myself am in charge of community building and identity work. And so my mindset going into this was how, again, it's sort of running on the themes from before, how can we empower our students to contextualize their own experiences in their life? And how does that manifest in them as just a student in the classroom, but in the future as a leader of the world? Yeah. So again, working alongside eighth grade team members, as well as our supervisor from the central management office, we were able to put our heads together and come up with uh, some really good pieces of work. Uh, and it's really difficult, <laughs> mind you, we're trying to cram a lot of content into 30 minutes when in actuality when you account for dismissal for late students it's really you're trying to cram that work into 20 minutes and yeah. so it's just been an absolute uh, wild ride with that as well i love that though because it really does go back to the the core message that we're trying to make the world a better place we're trying to raise a more inclusive uh population and generations that way the world's better off uh each with each subsequent generation and so i think this your work with what you just mentioned as well as everything else goes a long way towards that so thank you for that we're going to uh, transition now into the segment I like to call things to check out. Um, so I will ask you for a recommendation on uh, who you're listening to and who you're reading. Uh, one recommendation for each. I will go first, give you an example. Um, so I don't ask for what you're watching because I feel like everybody's watching everything in the world. And I'm going back to podcasts and books. That's kind of my forte, what I like to do to really stimulate my mind. That's just my, uh, my preference. So currently, one thing that I'm reading... I'm reading a book called Blades of Glory by John Rosengren. John is actually going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, Blades of Glory is Friday Night Lights, but instead of football, it's ice hockey. And instead of Texas, it's Minnesota. So if you're familiar with the concept of Friday Night Lights, where football is a religion to Texas, uh, small town Texas individuals, same thing is true up in Minnesota with high school ice hockey. So I grew up uh, playing hockey and played high school ice hockey, and uh, it was crazy to find a book that uh, was captured the full passion of Friday Night Lights and hockey. So that's what I'm reading. One thing I'm listening to, uh, I've gone back and started listening to early episodes of Under the Skin with Russell Brand. Um, now it's under uh, Luminary, but some of the early episodes are there in its entirety. And there's a lot of good stimulating conversations that I find linger with me long after I've listened to it. And to me, that's a sign of a good show. So I like it. So uh, Andrew, what is one thing, who are you listening to and who are you reading? The thing that I am listening to is Freakonomics Radio. Oh, yes. Steven always good. Dubner and Steve Levitt, I believe. Yes. Uh, the hidden side of everything. It's it's wonderful. Uh, just 
economics being hidden inside of every facet of society yes. of politics of companies it's just wonderful it's great. uh and you know great host great insights yes everywhere and then i am currently reading radical possibilities by gene anion and this is a book that explores uh federal and metropolitan politics and policies and the ways that they impact poverty and education and the dynamics the social dynamics between various groups it's a really interesting book so far um and i'm reading it for one of my grad school classes it's great i love that fantastic well now we're going to transition to the final segment of the show it's the dad joke of the week it is a segment where i hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans but i can't hear the audience i can only hear my guests so it works out for me but i do like to put my guest on the spot first andrew do you have any jokes you would like to offer up today um no not at the moment okay. other than teachers trying to survive in a global pandemic right <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, if, since you're listening to this, the, it is the week of Thanksgiving when you're listening to it, or at least when it's released. I don't know when you're listening to it. You could be listening to it in the year 2025. Who knows? But I do have two Thanksgiving-themed jokes for you. So here we go. <clears throat> Andrew, what kind of music did the pilgrims listen to at the first Thanksgiving feast? What kind of music did the pilgrims listen to at the first Thanksgiving feast? Can I take a guest? Yes. Go right ahead. Plymouth Rock. Yes, rock and roll. <laughs> yes, right well done, well done. Uh, all right, last one, because uh, I only found two. The rest were very bad, like didn't even pass my standards. It was really bad. Um, but here we go. Uh, what key has legs and can't open doors? No idea. A turkey. Turkey. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that one coming. Right, right. <laughs> well, Andrew, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? You can follow me on Instagram at deep down low. That is D E E P down D O W N L O H. Deep down low on Instagram. Perfect. Excellent. And we'll tag you on Instagram when the show goes live and all that good stuff. And uh, we do need a hashtag for this. Oh, you know what? I, something that I always mean to do and I always forget to do it. So listeners, I know I put it at the end, but if you do want to follow the Detox podcast as well, if you're listening to Andrew's episode and you go, hey, I like this show. I want more of it. We're on all social channels at Detox Podcast, D-T-A-L-K-S Podcast. And if you do like the show, feel free to subscribe and rate and review five stars if you want. That's cool too. It helps us out. But anyways, Andrew, we do need a hashtag for this episode. And I wrote down hashtag know your story. Does that work for you? Yeah, that sounds excellent. Sounds like a great theme. Perfect. Well, Andrew, thank you again just so much. This has been an absolute delight. And I cannot wait to connect with you again on a future episode. Right. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Listeners, I'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, hashtag know your story, and I will hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast, or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. 
And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawan and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. <laughs>